available now at CritAcademy.com. Our brand new book, Unearthed Tips and Tricks, Volume 1, featuring all of your favorite monster variants, character concepts, encounters, magical items, and so much more. Grab your copy today for only $9.95. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. And now, from the Crit Academy Studios, sponsored by our generous patrons, here's the show. Take it away, boys! Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your host, Brandon. I'm your host, Ian. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Uh, We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D game. Hey, Crit Nation. Um, it's Justin. I just wanted to give you a quick heads up. Uh, I got a new mic and I made some adjustments on some stuff. And so the audio in this episode isn't quite up to the standard that you have come to expect from Crit Academy. I did do my best to try to fix it and make it sound as fantastic as possible. I also wanted to give a huge shout out to our buddies over at Have A Go Heroes. You can find them at twitch.tv slash haveagoheroes starting at 7 p.m. on February 20th. Uh, as the release of this episode, it should be tonight. So definitely uh, check it out. It's a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign world based on ancient Greek mythology uh, where the gods are played out by actors and interact with the players, which is phenomenal. The game is going to be raising money for Calm, a mental health charity. You can visit them at www.thecalmzone.net. Um, so definitely check it out. It'll last about three hours and a hundred percent of the money will be donated to them. So the plan is to have the stream itself as interactive as possible. So swing on over and check them out. Thanks for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. That's right. Your roles are like an atom without a pilot. Yeah. I'm really excited. If you don't know what an atom is, we'll be talking about that today. So before we get started, we like to start the show off on a high note and we do that by giving away fat loots every week. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblin Stone. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Brandon, who's our winner today? Our winner for uh, our Goblin Stone Prize is Georgius.Cacriminus. Congratulations, Georgius.Cacriminus. Uh, you are this week's... <laughs> Uh, winner, if you enjoy the adventure, please leave Goblinstone a review and let them know what you thought. Brandon, how can they uh, be entered to win our sweet-ass fat loots? All you gotta do is go to our website and subscribe. And every week, we pull three winners per yes. episode. Three, three winners per episode from our subscribers list. Do you want to tell them what our website is? <laughs> yes! Our website is CritAcademy.com. Please, stop by. Yeah, definitely. So we got a really great episode for you today. Um, we have our, in our Let's Talk About Blank segment, we're going to be talking about level zero. Uh, our main topic today is the Grease Monkeys Handbook, Rules for Piloting Magitech, Steampunk, and Sci-Fi Max in D&D 5th Edition. 
And of course, we have our Honor Tips and Tricks segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. But before all that, we have In the Realm where we spend a few minutes talking about what's going on in our realm. Ian, what's going on in your realm? This past week, I haven't really had much going on, really, other than the fact that I got sent out to that one uh, shooting in Sagadon. There was just only one? Yeah, but it was a police officer that got shot. Oh, that I think, is that why it made the news? Because I feel like everyone's getting shot there daily. Yeah, that's why it made the news. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was out there in the field from 3 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the cold. Yeah, I saw all your oh, pictures. You had you had a rough day that day. It was a long one, Yeah, to be sure. Right now, how's your realm going? Uh, we were all saying that uh, Works planning on giving us a Super Bowl off Sunday and Monday, which is really weird. That's the first place I've ever worked that's considering giving that a day off. Well, people don't show up half the time anyway. It's smart. Uh, yeah, possibly. No, no, that's, uh, I mean, that's really, really all that's going on in mind. What about you, Justin? Um, yesterday, I ran our monthly Patreon game. If you're interested, you can watch it at uh, twitch.tv slash critacademy. Uh, once a month, I st- live stream a game with our patrons. Um, there was a very interesting, we ran, uh, it was very interesting, we ran The Fruit of Evil by Jeff Stevens. You can actually head on over to critacademy.com slash jeff-stevens, and, and there's a link there to this product. Um, so there, there's something that was in this adventure that I've never seen in another adventure. Um, first of all, there's um, in, in this wizard's tower, there is a lavatory, which, okay, isn't out of the realm, but I've, I don't generally plan those when I put them in my, in my, my structures, but okay, there's a lavatory. Um, one of the characters, uh, one of our patrons was playing a drunken monk and he kind of just stumbles over to the lavatory, unzips his pants and goes, and he noticed it doesn't make a noise. Like his urine isn't hitting like a, like the side of a wall or the bottom of this, this bucket or whatever is inside this hole. It's a bag of holding. It was a bag of holding. (laughs) Um, and so his drunk ass decided to like flip it inside out, but the thing hadn't been emptied for months or possibly years and the top floor you're talking waist high pile of fecal matter oh and urine and every other thing you could imagine spewed out but because they were on like the second or third floor it filled up this whole little tower and started running down the spiral staircase to the floor below (laughs) it was nasty and disgusting and by far one of the most interesting experiences i've had in DD in a long time uh so definitely If you want to hear about all the nasty, um, definitely check it out. Uh, our player tip actually comes from uh, an event that happened in it, so I'm really excited to talk about that. But yes, definitely, definitely watch the video. We or watch the the watch the um, stream if you get a chance. It was very interesting and a lot of fun. That's so, gnarly. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty gross. <laughs> so I think that'll do it for in the realm. Brandon, if they'd like to visit other realms, how can they do so? They can visit our website at CritAcademy.com, where we'll have a link to Audible, where you can get a free 30-day trial and a free book. It's, it's thank, thank God, God for, for no, no smell vision. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to our next segment, we have our Crit Nation feedback, Let's Talk About Blank, where we answer uh, listener-submitted questions. This comes from Facebook from Jerry M. What do you guys think about starting your characters at level zero? Actually playing the part of your background... Before becoming a class. Ian, let's start with you. I've never really done it before, but I can't really say that really interests me too much personally either. <laughs> okay. That sounds like an insane amount of role-playing. Why is that? Because uh, the, the background, that that kind of seems like that would, that's what that would be. Like if you're uh, a sage as a student, right? Yeah. Researcher, yeah. Student, researcher, whatever. Same thing. Yeah. So let's say your background is sage and you spend... Uh, 
your first session just being a student and you're talking to teachers and you're writing down books and all you're doing is role-playing and that's all i can really think of would you like something like that i think it would be awesome on a one-to-one level uh, with a dm and one player and just you i think if it's with a group of people that's not gonna work because they're gonna get bored yeah <laughs> they're gonna get uh... bored real quick Ed Tate says it should be part of session zero and starting at level one and go from there. Don't so, mind me. I'm just a level zero former militiaman. <laughs> so I, so here's my thought. I understand people wanting to start at zero. Um, I live as level zero every day. <laughs> I don't need to play it. Um, I can see the value from it, but I play D&D so I can be heroic and be a hero. If my background is a criminal... Role-playing out maybe a theft or something, okay, that could be kind of cool, but not having any of the abilities that makes you a thief would be kind of, you would basically just have, like, your stats and then your proficiency modifier, whatever tool you have. So, I can see the value added there if the focus is entirely on the role-play. Me, personally, I don't ever want to do that. Start me at level one, make me heroic, I want to go slay some monsters or solve some problems. I'm not going to lie, too. My inner rules layer keeps screaming, there is no such thing as levels there in the rule book. <laughs> That's true. Um, but I can understand that some people would enjoy that. Yeah. I personally would not. I come to play D&D to be a hero. Starting at level one is already easy to die. And there's no reason why that same role play can't be played out at level one or two as you're playing the game. Um, all, all it, to me, it's you just taking away all the stuff that makes my character interesting aside from their backstory. Here we come to wreck that day. Right. So that's my that's our thoughts on it, Jerry. I don't necessarily think that it's a bad idea depending at depending on the table you're at. That's definitely not going to be every table's cup of tea. I can imagine a, a power gaming group or a dungeon call group not getting any benefit out of something like that. Um, that's just my thoughts on it. Uh, I hope I answered your question. If we didn't, uh, please just send us an email and we'll try to answer it better. That'll do it for the Let's Talk About Blank segment. If you'd like to submit a question to the Let's Talk About Blank segment, you can contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Crit Academy or send an email at gmail, uh, critacademy at gmail.com. Now on to the meat and potatoes of the episode, our main topic. Uh, he says, uh, let's see, it should be a part of uh, Session Zero and starting at Level 1 and go from there. But if you are going to be in a regular campaign, I feel it has more connection between the character and the player. That's fair. Yeah, I, I can see that, but um, not my jams. So I'm really excited to discuss this this product. It came out a little over a month or so ago. The Grease Monkeys Handbook, Rules for Piloting Magitech, Steampunk, and Sci-Fi Mechs in D&D 5th Edition. Now, I'm going to get this right out there. This isn't for everybody. Nope. Um, this is definitely something that you want to you experiment with could be cool, but you have to be ready to allow a lot of different things in your game outside of the core rulebook. I would like to point out that this book is like 120 pages, which is a lot for like a DM's Guild product. Oh yeah. So we're, there, there is a link to this product in our show notes. I definitely recommend checking it out. We all know that Dungeons and Dragons is filled with, you know, fantastical machines, magical constructs and, and everything in between. But what if you yourself as a player had the power and capability of creating one of these things. Because that's something that happens all the time. Constructs are created by people in the, the, the D&D universe, right? Yep. 
There, there's magic behind it. There's ingenuity behind it. The, the technology exists. We just perceive it in a different way, right? Um, like golems, for instance, right? They're, they're, they're made of stone. They're made of wood. They're made of these different things. But magic pretty much runs these gears and cogs and stuff instead of an electrical battery. You can make golems out of anything. Flesh, too, even, actually. Yep. That's a thing. Um, You'll just say, when let's give you crap, make crap golems. <laughs> oh, shit, it's a shit demon. <laughs> it's a shit demon. <laughs> If this stuff sounds interesting to you, then this Grease Monkey's Handbook is for you. It has been designed from the ground up to be just that, an instructional guide for not only developing these constructs, but the rules um, involved in operating them. And it is very well thought out, very in-depth. We are not going to get to the nitty-gritty. We're going to go over some of the, the main things that they talk about and why we think they're interesting. But, I mean, like I said, you got rules for building, maintaining, outfitting, and fighting right alongside your very own all-terrain utility machine, or an Atom for short. I'm not sure if it's Atom or Atom, but Atom sounds way cooler, so we're going to go with that. I read it as a tomb, but whatever. <laughs> well, I'm going with Atom. <laughs> you can call, call it whatever you want, because I don't think it really matters. So, um... Your mother. <laughs> so, uh, the very first thing that I noticed about this, uh... This book, and this was created by by Val Cyrene and Mogman Dubloon. 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 That's got to be like a, 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 a sign name or whatever. Uh, and Mogman Dubloon. <laughs> so there's a lot of content in this. In the very first chapter, it, it brings you into a nice introduction to what an, uh, an atom system is. And the very first thing that really jumps out at me is they they talk about pilots. These are operators of these machines. Now, we talked, we mentioned mechs and stuff, and it gives you the idea of somebody inside this giant, you know, Gundam-style suit. But not all of them are like that, right? Um, and we'll get more into that. But they, they give you these little brief um, descriptions of the different types of pilots that exist. They give you the, the description, the, the, the Junker, which is, sees the world as a, it's open oyster and always filled with these, you know, <laughs> financial opportunities, right? Generally, these these characters are out scavenging all the time looking for components. And this gives you a nice little backstory or a little addition onto your character yep. that you can in, make them and separate each pilot um, uh, from another. Great. I'm already, I already want to play a Battletech on the PC. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, just jumping right in this, what do you guys think about the fact that they give you these different little uh, pilot options to kind of add to your backstory? I think it's a good start, especially since we didn't really have uh, mechs in the first place by Raw, obviously. Right, so. right. Although I do want to, I, I do realize we're skipping ahead when I say this, but they do offer the, the pilot as a archetype later on as a prestige class yep. of five levels. And they uh -huh. do give, basically all three of the dimensions give different benefits depending on which one you choose when you pick the class. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, prestige uh, thing isn't a thing in 50, right? As not far, really. As of, as of right now. But they did basically say treat it as multi-classing. Right. Which it is. Right. So you're giving up a level progression and something else to, to get this then, right? And, and I think the biggest thing with pre prestige classes too is it's just not regular multi-classing in the sense of um, you have a lot more prereqs before you can actually go into that as opposed to regular multi-classing. Right, right. Not that those, I mean, those have prereqs too, mind you, but... 
just like the um, pilots, the atoms have different types as well, and they they classify them from civilian, industrial to military, and they 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 are pretty much just what you would think. The civilians are anything from simple or traditional a wheel, you know, passenger vehicles. I think automobile when I think uh, civilian class, which is reasonable. Uh, what's that? Tool, tools of burden, right? Something that's used to get from point A to point B. And that, that's pretty much what they do, whether that's a, the style of a motorcycle or uh, a car or a truck, something along those lines. Or, then, ex- or an exoskeleton. So you gotta... Or an exoskeleton, yeah. That's a good one. One uh, for like lifting and stuff. A Honda, a black cat, and a tank. <laughs> 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 that's that's a really good one because the next one uh the the other uh the industrial class is mostly bipedal constructions that are they're slow but they're durable these are the types of things you find in like construction zones right um like uh, the equivalent of like a bulldozer or a, a crane or something something along those lines whether it's bipedal or on wheels to help you build castles to build other types of structures and fortifications and ramparts those sorts of things it, it does make a mention it's not uncommon for it to use Used by civilian security, too. Oh, yeah, there you go. I, I See, I would expect that more to be under the military class. But that's military. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, and then, of course, the, the military classes, these are heavily armored. These things are designed for war. They come with giant chainsaws and, and giant, you know, machine gun type, you know, mechanisms and, and even swords in uh, some cases. These things are designed for war. These are the ones that you see battling and duking it out, which I think is pretty dope. But they are also a lot more expensive, but they're also a lot more durable and faster, too. Yes, Definitely stronger, and they have a. So we haven't we haven't got to it yet, but they talk about like different types of hard points that can go yep. on different things, yep, yep, yep. which uh, basically gives you some options of which each vehicle can kind of touch on. Um, by the way, can I just say there's an art piece in here that damn near looks like a Gundam? You see this? What is that? That's a fantasy Gundam right there. That is dope as hell, isn't it? You see the little person there in there? A pilot in the middle. There is, yeah, right in the <laughs> belly area, just above the groin. Uh, dope as shit art, by the way. That looks like a cockpit. Yeah, yeah, it did look, look very much like it was a very nice cockpit. Um, so and, and then there's all the Enders, <laughs> Earth Movers, <laughs> Earth Movers. <laughs> That's pretty dope. That's a lot of what the first chapter is about. Uh, Brandon, what is chapter two about? Chapter two is about combat, mega combat, the atom combat, and how it works. Yeah, this it looks like it teaches you about piloting, the different kinds of crews, proficiencies, creature size, everything you need to know about combat. Yeah, and even has special rules for the the atom machines and how to apply them and what modifiers go to the different features and all that stuff and how they all fit together um, in the traditional combat sense of D&D. And it's worth mentioning, too, that not only are there three different like classes, if you will, civilian, industrial, military, there's also three different sizes, small, medium, large. And each one can have uh, different amounts of people like manning them. Like, uh, small was like just one person because it's... Small, whereas like the medium and large can have whole crews, right? And that really fits in with like the um, big like um, tanks or the big uh, uh, just vehicles like trucks and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's really interesting is they do go out of their way that um, even though they're inanimate uh, constructs, they can be affected by things like paralysis, and they give you some examples of how that would happen. Like it could be an electrical overcharge or gears locking up. So there is flavor there to explain why certain failures happen under the effects of normal like magic and stuff that's in the world of D and D, right? 
Um, and there, I mean, there's paragraphs on this stuff. This is very well, very thoroughly written. It also does give you like specific rules on like casting and stuff while you're piling an an, uh, an atom, which I think is pretty dope. And you know the targeting of them and and, and all that sort of details. But beyond that, uh, I mentioned earlier the hard points. Um, these are essentially like the the mechanical. I would say like the arm locations or places you mount special equipment. It's a fancy way of saying gear you installing your mech. Yes, basically. <laughs> well, I think, and I know in a lot of, like, the, the ship games I play, like Star Citizen, and you know, hard points are where you mount your, like, gun barrels and shit like that as well, or extra storage and, and all that stuff, and they give you some pretty good details on the different chassis categories. Um, what, what types of uh, categories come with those hard points there, Brandon? It looks like you got uh, melee hard points, arm hard points, ballistics, uh, energy, tools. Now, that one's interesting. Energy weapons, to me, huh. I instantly think, like, magic. Like, a, maybe it's a, just a harnessed form of magic. Um, Not necessarily. <laughs> well, I know, but that's what I think of in this, right. in, this, in this particular setting of D&D. But the different hard points give you different functionalities. So each chassis has so many access to not only uh, so many hard points, but to certain types and classifications. Now, there are mods and stuff that you can put. That um, consume like um, I don't know if they can they consume slots slots essentially that limit how many things you can do. So if this one needs a modulator to attach a special hard point, it's going to actually make your atom a little less, few less options at the cost of adding something it probably wouldn't normally be able to have. And like, that's also worth mentioning: the bigger the mech, the atom, the more slots you have to install hard points. Right, right. And these hard points can be anything from uh, a sword, a gun, maybe like an impact tool to chisel out stone and rock and bore into like a mountain, which I think is pretty (laughs) cool. (laughs) And actually in the next section, it does go into module slots and upgrading those different features. Once again, you got pages of these these details of upgrade modules. I am so impressed by, by the detail that comes to these. Now, the modules themselves come in a couple different categories, passive and active, things that you have to trigger and use an action to activate, probably pressing a button, throwing a switch, turning an knob, something along those lines. Um, and then passive are just like best, basically like boons that just, they are until something goes wrong and they don't work. <laughs> so I think that's pretty do- dope. Some of the, they got like even a, a fault table where you get like a, a mechanical, it seems like a mechanical failure, I guess, when you're uh, making an attack roll or ability check. Similar things like misfire or something jamming up or running out of uh, emergency shutdown, shit like that. Um, there's even one that just says, boom. <laughs> so I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the art in here is really nice. Look at like the flying, uh, the flying oh shuttles God. and the, the, the mech assault type uh, shit. That's dope. You read the thing for boom? No, yeah. for, no, I didn't read it's it. Something inside the module explodes. Your atom takes 3d10 thunder damage. <laughs> Kaboom, bitch. <laughs> Ian, can you tell us a little bit about what chapter three contains? Well, the um, chapter itself is, is titled Maintenance, and basically it goes into detail about like uh, the armor plating they have to do maintenance on, mm-hmm. as well as well damage thresholds, because there's plating which can essentially act as more or less, would you say that it can act as additional HP or damage reduction? Yeah, I would say that. I would say yeah. similar to like maybe temporary HP or something yeah. that is beyond what it normally has. That keeps damage from the main body, which means less maintenance work. And it definitely gives the cost of it. Yes, which I think is interesting, because not everything has the same cost, right? And the time involved, let's mention the tier of workshops that can do different things, and even specialists. 
And even that like, goes into the details about opening your own workshop and the uh, cost for rent and uh, parts and so on and so forth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for upkeep, which is which is fantastic because not only running your own shop but finding a workshop, you could make these things as common or as rare as you want. Maybe only places like Neverwinter and Waterdeep would have them, right? Um, or if you're running a home game, only major cities. Or you can make them where every city, every little village has a small junker that can do little tiny maintenance things, you know? But maybe not every single service. I also goes into details with the workshops about how the various size ones can um, service different types of mechs and different size mechs, too. Yes. Atoms, so. That's and, right through a uh, damage threshold. Uh-huh. It yep. makes me think of uh, Trample for Magic the Gathering. Oh, yeah, where it goes beyond whatever armor piercing that they have. Yeah, like uh, if you get hit for seven, but it only defends five, the other two still go through. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a pretty neat concept. I like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it gives you full details on building custom workshops and stuff like that. Um, We're not going to get too much into it, but I have to say it's... It's at least a full page, several paragraphs worth of detail on building your own um, and fleshing out your own personal workshops, which I, that once again, that comes into About the, three pages, actually. Is it, it's three pages <laughs> of this um, process, which I think is cool because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's nothing really currently that gives you full instructions on how to like operate and maintain your own inn and your own blacksmithing and all that stuff. I think in general, it leads it to like downtime. Yeah, this gives it a nice fleshed out detail. So I can easily see using something like using this as a template if you wanted to add that sort of um, idea to your game where your players decide they want to run a a business. You could use this as kind of a model for that. I got chuckled where they even have rules in there for if your max big enough, you can actually install workshop inside it. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's so dope. That's you need a big Mac. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, and once again, they, they even give details down to, like, construction time and cost involved in something like that. Uh, like, this this one, a uh, uh, Category 3, which is, like, the largest one you can make, is 50,000 gold pieces. takes 400 days. So, obviously, this is something that's meant for a big, long-time campaign, not just, like, a one or two, three-shot uh, adventure. They even have rules in here for not paying rent in time. oh you guys show up after your adventures uh, after your adventure and there's a padlock on your uh on your workshop what the hell is this shit (laughs) there's an eviction notice posted on the door there actually is a rule for that too (laughs) (laughs) so um these guys really do just a phenomenal (laughs) job on this so uh, after we get through the picking out our atom and and building a workshop or finding a, a place to get everything fixed, what is how do we get the 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 materials and stuff uh, necessary for that stuff? Uh, well, this chapter talks about how you can do salvaging, where you can salvage uh, destroyed atoms or other vehicles. Chapter four, right? Yep. Yes. And there's even a table that uh, was well, a salvage timetable, where depending on what size the salvage is, it can determine. How long is it going to take to salvage right. certain stuff from it? And it's pretty cool here because they do actually have a critical success and a critical fail ta- table. Um, but this is like a, a very refined gathering tool. Um, once again, this is specifically for salvaging in this, but these numbers have been worked out that you probably can use the same template if you want to do uh, mining or herbalism or any of those sorts of things too. Sure. Um, which I think is pretty cool. Obviously, this is designed specifically for gathering uh, atom components, but uh, I think it could be fleshed out, reskinned, or you know, used for other skills in um, gathering professions. I guess. As like too about how it talks about the uh, possible 
module called it, 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 and the rules for its condition, too. Yeah. Honestly, the more I read through this, the more I want to do this. Right? I think it would be really cool to run a game or even a, a stream and, a, like, do, a, like, a, uh, an actual play set in a world where you guys are, like, Adam pilots. A one-shot, at the very least? No, at the at very least a one-shot, but I, this would be a really cool, like, adventure setting, I think. Can you imagine fighting a dragon in, like, a... You've got a big mech suit thing with, like, lasers and shit coming out of it, and the dragon's ripping your fucking armor off and shit, ripping your arm off and no longer can, you know, it's just, it just gets me all, all excited. And I, I was a big, like, Gundam person, you know, and I loved Armored Core. This is like a tabletop version of Armored Core. Side note, my favorite Gundam series is still 8th MS Team. I haven't seen that. Okay. Here we go. Wink. <laughs> Okay, the reason why I like 8th MS Team is, you know, like, the tropes for most mecha series. Yep, that's right, I'm a young kid who's kind of whiny, but 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 I'm a natural at piloting mechs. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I got you. Whereas with 8th MS Team, it, like, it was an actual military unit, so it actually felt like a military show at the same yeah, time, too. instead of just the guy that can get in and is automatically awesome. Right. Mary Sue, I think, is what they call that, right? Right, and he actually felt like it was actually in the trenches, too, so... <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, is there anything else on salvaging we wanted to touch on that's in this book? Yes, you can salvage modules. And, what? uh, you actually got a table here that says it's a determines the quality of the module you, you can be salvaging by rolling 2d8. And, of course, the results are like 2, 3 to 6, 7 to 11, 12 to 15, and 16. And the qualities are broken, poor, used, new, and masterwork. So, when you're salvaging, there's a chance that. Even if you're a low level or something like that, you could stumble across a very valuable piece of equipment. And then you have to decide, well, I don't know if my mech can fix this. Can I sell it? Can I break it apart? What can I What can I do for this? And I think that that's a really nice touch. I think, great. You're just looking through this uh, broken, busted down ad and you're like, oh, man, okay, so this hard point, this that's just destroyed. This is low quality. And you just so it happens there's a pristine railgun attached to his back. You're like, oh, hey, look at that. Um, Side though, it's worth mentioning that even just plain old scrap is worth something. Yes, and because you can least melt it down. <laughs> right, right. Um, what's really cool is it, the modules have a function, right? So, like, uh, if you get a poor quality one, it's a minus one to all ability checks and saving throws and attack rolls when made using the the module. But if you then go and get a masterwork one, it gives you a plus two. So it's actively altering your stats depending on what you find, which I think is pretty cool. And once again, it's just. It's a bit of luck involved, which I think is really cool, but adds value and makes you want to go out and spend your valuable time looking in scavenging. I'm kind of anybody else kind of reminded of Ray from Star Wars at the moment. Like she's like a junker pilot of like these little sure. little you know things she flies around now, which I think is pretty cool. It does give you instructions. I think you mentioned this already uh, on salvaging the module, yeah. patching them up, and what are the costs involved if they're damaged enough in in replacing them, getting them repaired, or uh, substituting with something else. And they give you timelines for all this stuff once again, which is just showing how thorough they did of a job of designing it. Uh, by the way, this is a uh, this is currently a uh, this book is currently a platinum bestseller uh, on the DMs Guild. That's only two from the highest level on a scale of eight. That is an amazing product. To give you an idea, they're only 0.59% of the DMs Guild content is at a platinum level. That's amazing. Huh. And it looks like uh, most parts don't even get a any kind of bestseller, not even copper. Yeah, yeah. You need at least, uh, I think I think copper is around 50, 60 sales. Okay. And then it, I don't know what it is beyond there. But um, just because you're on the DMs Guild doesn't mean you get a bestseller tag. We're close, though. 
Yes, my yes, my yes, my yes, my. <laughs> it does go into details on the the selling of the scrap, the the components and stuff, and the weight of all the components. So you gotta, you know, if you this is this is a moment where I think encumbrance would really be a big deal. Yep. Because just because you go into a junkyard for all this equipment doesn't mean you're going to be able to walk away with it, you know. Um, and I think that's fantastic. Unless you got an atom that can carry shit, right? I mean, great. Nothing about Megas XLR. God, I love that show. <laughs> I still find that hilarious when the main character is picking through a scrap pile in a junkyard. Dude, how much does this cost? Dude, that's two bucks. That Everything in that pile is worth two bucks. I only think that whole pile's worth two bucks. <laughs> I accidentally pulled a piece of scrap, which knocked everything over into the mechanic side. Two bucks, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> uh, Tate says, I did and do, and look what it gets me. So, uh, now, now moving on to chapter five. This is where it gets interesting. Constructing your own atom. Oh, money. I wish I had some of that. Uh, it's like no matter how much we get it coming in, I always find a way to waste it. I mean, spend it or use it. Utilize it. I don't know. Uh, like I just paid for some uh, art and stuff. How's that art coming, by the way? Not good. Oh, okay. I was going to do it last night, but my phone kept dropping out. It okay. wasn't worth doing. Yeah, all right. My art's not worth doing. You heard it <laughs> You heard it here. That wasn't worth doing. Um, but that's what I'm hoping for this next Sunday. Okay. Um, so in chapter five, you talk about constructing your own atom. The details in this are amazing. First, you, you have to, it starts off by picking your, your chassis in the mobility type, right? Um, the, the, the chassis come in like three, uh, three settings, uh, light, which is large, medium, which is huge and heavy, which is gargantuan. Um, and it gives you all the, the stat modifiers and everything for it. You know, they all have their own strength and their own constitution scores, uh, but also, but use the pilot's dexterity ability score. I assume that has to do with like their ability to rotate and, yep. and click the buttons quickly and react to the, the, the enemy that they're engaged with, which I think is pretty cool. Oh yeah. The, the, it use their, it uses their deck score, the pilot and the crew's, uh, saving throws. So, um, your stats as a pilot affect the 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 atom as well which i think is pretty cool so then once you've uh you've picked your chat what once they've picked the chassis type brandon what is the what 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 is the next next step in the the custom building of your own atom the mobility type and what ah. is what does that entail it determines what kind of uh ability your mech's gonna have <laughs> mech adam <laughs> it, it determines what kind of mobility your atom's gonna have whether it be a uh, wheeled or bipedal or quadrupedal or tracked kind of like a tank Oh, and that's pretty cool. It looks like each one gets its own little um, special features. Like a wheeled one can't be knocked prone. They're immune to prone. Um, while a... Uh, it's, also, it's also worth knowing that wheel's the fastest. Oh, yeah. They, they got different uh, rates of speed. And they all, it looks like they all cost the same amount, though. So I guess that doesn't matter as much. Yeah, but those different benefits. And the engine can only use for different size categories, too. <laughs> right, right. Like, like wheel can only be used for the light ones. <laughs> I like the, the little picture that kind of shows the different kinds you got, which is pretty dope. The different sizes to give you an idea. Um, so now that you've picked your your chassis and your your mobility type, it's time to pick move on to picking the engine and the fuel types. Once again, you're getting to really detail. It's not just here's something in its stats. Here's the different components you can piece together to get a unique a unique atom, which I think is just fantastic. It sucks if you're traveling across the desert, or you actually have an atom that's waterproof, and you're under the water, and you run out of gas. You run out of juice. <laughs> like, oh, shit. I can't um, even see the light of day. I don't know how low we are. <laughs> actually, there are some uh, cores you can get in the DM section that basically means perpetual fuel, because magic. 
Ah, so um, the size of the fuel tank and the engine did basically determine how long this thing is going to run for. And they give you a very detailed uh, description on using the fuel, um, which is pretty cool. Once again, very, very much specifics. This almost feels like that these people play a lot, have played a lot of like 3-5 or Pathfinder or Starfinder. Or MechWarrior. Or MechWarrior, where they've got all <laughs> these very detailed little things. Battletech. Which I think, nothing against this, kind of pulls away from the... The, the streamline that 5e is going for. Not that that's a bad thing at all, um, but there is a lot of detail, and I know a lot of people like that. It's already making me really excited. I think it's hilarious that the the artwork that comes with this page are literal cars. <laughs> well, not all of them. I mean, this one I, with I, this page, you yeah, you're right. Page, you, yeah, yeah, yeah you, that page, it's just yeah, cars. This lady with a sword riding atop the hood of a like a muscle car. <laughs> Whereas in the background, you see a pickup truck with a man get on top. <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like the war dog. Go ahead, call the medic. He you mean the puma? He can't unfurl what? you. What, and Sam Hale is a puma? <laughs> you know, it's like a giant cat. You're making that up. <laughs> look at these Look at these toe hooks right here, right? What do these look like? Tusks. And what kind of animal has tusks? A walrus. walrus. I told you to stop making up animals! <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen Red vs. Blue, shit's amazing. It's old, but it's great. All right, so, uh, put spinners on this thing and get us some L-A-I-D. That spells laid. Yeah, we know. We just think that was fucking weak. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, all right, so now that you've picked your your uh, the, these big opponents, your mo- movement, your chassis, your fuel and engine, now it's time to pick the, the class in the, the module adapters, right? Um, each each atom's got its own class, which determines what types of features and modules and stuff it can have. We talked about them briefly, the civilian, the industrial, and the military, right? And each one comes with its own cost and um, also what has conversion costs, which means you can upgrade them or change them to other ones later. So you might start off with a cheaper civilian model. And then later you can choose to upgrade it with uh, the appropriate model to say military, military or industrial, which I think is pretty dope. And once again, each class does have its advantages and disadvantages, even civilian. Right. The civilian is actually the cheapest one, right? But that's also the fastest. And their so. modules cost way cheaper. Yeah, they do. 50% less, actually. So now that you've got your mech now, you know what it's designed, what it's going to look like. You have to decide what is it going to do, right? This is where you get to choose your loadout. Now, to me, this is the equivalent of equipping your character with, like, swords and armor and, and all that jazz, right? All the little, the, the the really, really cool little toys, right? Now, if I'm not mistaken, Brandon, there's a limit on uh, module slots and hard points depending on the class, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't scroll down yet. That's my bad. Right. <laughs> All right. So when you're picking out your uh, your hard points, they come with different ratings, right? Different classes, I guess, like our armor, light, medium, and uh, heavy. Um, and some of, what are some of the examples there of the, the light hard points to kind of give our uh, listener, Crit Nation, kind of an idea? You got a 25 millimeter flak battery, 30 millimeter tank cannon, battering ram, civilian manipulator. What? Civilian manipulator? It's an arm. <laughs> it's an arm. <laughs> Get away! Is this Adam going to have to choke a bitch? <laughs> Heat ray, plasma gun, plasma torch. So it almost yeah. sounds like like a sidearm or a utility, right? Yeah. Um, piece of equipment. And they come in different settings, right? Like the battering ram is a tool, and the 30 millimeter tank cannon is ballistics. The heat ray is energy. And they give the stats and ranges of all these and additional properties, as well as like cost. A and lot which, of properties. Which classes can use them. Um, this is a pretty big yeah, table. It's a big table <laughs> for just the light. And then moving into the medium, you get uh, you start to get some of the more uh, powerful and very 
costly uh, features like the beanbag toaster. What the hell is that? Well, actually, <laughs> it says experimental. <laughs> <laughs> it's very costly at 5,000 gold pieces. It, I actually read the uh, special properties for it. Which, oh, did you? And essentially, it came across me like a Claymore mine that's built on ah. your mech. A Claymore mine built in your mech. So like that's a, if someone gets in your face, you're like, nope, click. And it just... shoots out a big bar that looks like a piece of toast. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that's what I'm envisioning. Oh, this is pretty cool. You get an energy blade. Now I knew you were going to spot that. The second I saw it, I was like, oh, Justin's going to be like, oh, I'm going to hold that When I played shit. Armored Core, my favorite offhand was I love to build laser blade-like things. Because it's so hard to win when all you got is a sword and everyone else has got laser cannons and missiles and shit. Oh, that was the point of one of his characters on Armored Core. It was the one thing that I could not beat. I've at least beat his mechs once. But he had one I could never touch, and that's because he made the lightest mech. He was able to fly everywhere. He was super fast, and the only weapon he had was the energy blade, so he had no extra weight on him. <laughs> the problem is, if he got hit, he almost felt like two hits would kill my yeah. little tiny mech. Was, you can never hit me. But I can never hit him. I just know actually built stuff in the armor core. I always went with energy weapons because there's no ammo cost after missions. Uh, so anyway, some of the other uh, the other kind of hard points, uh, you get a massive laser cannon. Uh, those do like, and once again, they give you additional details. And just like some of the uh, items and shit in uh, 5e, they some have special properties. Thank you, the mining jail. This one's got a missile launcher. That's pretty dope. You know, I got to point out, too, these are still just medium. Yeah, we haven't got to the heavy shit yet. Man, I'm really wanting to play Armored Core now. <laughs> yeah, Titan Flail. Titan Cleaver. Titan Cleaver. Oh, man. Dude, we totally could run a, uh, use this to run an Armored Core-themed adventure. Oh, my God, dude. My genitals Tesla are, like, shaking rifle. right now. I, I know, I know. The Tesla Arc Rifle? That's pretty cool. I imagine you, like, shooting some hard object and then, like, lightning tracing to it. Oh, that's so cool. Titan Cleaver has just a big, giant 15-foot sword. <laughs> What are some of the uh, the heavy things we got here? Uh, a big fusion gun. Gauss cannon. The Gauss cannon. The Gauss cannon. So now, once again, the, the, the nerdy armored core person getting this. I'm just imagining, like, putting one on it in my shoulder. And I, you got to have the little sidearm that just pops up like Iron Man's little tank killing missile. <laughs> An ion cannon. Oh, man. A that's experimental, driver. too. Oh, my God. It does radiant damage. The, the doomsday, doomsday missile. <laughs> Oh my god, these lists are so huge, so there's so much customization for these bad boys. Man. Alright, so we could be talking about the weapons all day, but man, these... And what's cool is they give you a name, and you can just use your mind to envision what that shit would look like. I could totally imagine, like, the, um... The, the Doomsday Missile Launcher, like, this big giant thing pop out of your shoulder, doing, like, a Transformer thing, and then just shooting a little side P-sized missile at them, and then you just walk away... The X-42 final word assault battery. <laughs> what is that? I get the final word, bitch. This is experimental and the range is one mile. Manipulate one mile? Man. Jesus! <laughs> There's a couple of them. The missiles seem to have uh, up to a mile. A couple of them. Um, anyways, so after you've picked your weapon, you have manipulator weapons, right? These are... That, that means when your mech has hands. You can pick up a, a, an, a shield, an energy sword, flamethrower kite shield so this 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 sounds more traditional like uh like the traditional gundam type stuff right these these are the actual weapons that they would hold uh, within their hands a titan scimitar war axe so this is like a like a fighter version of your atom right yeah it's kind of what i'm what i'm getting i mean you got laser rifles in there too i assume they're like handed and you can probably drop them as well which is probably pretty useful i imagine lightsaber it does look like a you can't say lightsaber looks like a laser sword (laughs) 
Uh, all right. Um. Anyways. Um. And so, as if you didn't have enough customization options, you now have upgrade modules. <laughs> Marvin the Martian weapons. That's hilarious. <laughs> Dude, I would have to. I would totally name my pilot Marvin, <laughs> and then call my mech the Manhunter. <laughs> Ooh, uh, oh all right, my so God. You, you get upgrade modules. Now these are these are the the kind of the passive and active features we talked about briefly earlier. Um, like active countermeasures as a bonus action, you can scramble the targeting system of enemy sensors um, until the end of your next turn. You cannot be target locked. I imagine that specifically affects certain features that require that thing, like missiles. Uh, targeting modules, built-in workshops, oxygen supplies, energy fields. Trailers, docking clamps. What the hell? An atom can be carried by an aircraft or a ship locked to the hull. <laughs> so these are some very utility that give you that 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 thing that you don't probably use quite as often. But when you have it, you're glad you ha- want it. you have it. Rotation device, fuel storage, <laughs> extra fuel storage. That's nice. Um, and hull reinforcement increase your hit die plus two hit die. That's pretty. Di- that's pretty dope. Oh uh, man, so you have you have an entire page of options here. Pages. Now that we've we've really got through the the what it is to build and construct a uh, an atom, there's a plethora of other content that they add as well, including uh, additional uh, adventuring equipment from a compact pistol to uh, a bolt rifle, uh, a plasma pistol, shotgun, firearms, got lots of firearms, yeah. mm-hmm. and laser firearms, laser weapons, all those sorts of things. And they got stuff from like a steampunk style to modern to sci-fi. Right. And you really can flavor this however you want, or pick and choose, right? If you don't want it to be overwhelmingly something that's available, you can pick and choose as you introduce it into your, your campaign if you don't start off with it. What the hell's a power gauntlet? Just says you get powerful blow. Oh, that's probably a, a special feature. It is. They, talk, they go into deeper detail on firearms and ammunition and the cost and uh, uh, how they function, which is pretty cool. Uh, for powerful gauntlet, think uh, Doomfist's uh, arm in Overwatch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they actually have some pictures of some of this shit, and it looks pretty cool, I have to be honest. So they get a lot of detail into that stuff. We're not going to go through every single one because there's pages and pages of this stuff. So now that you've got the firearms, you actually have a whole entire page of firearm modifications. I'm pretty sure it's more than one page, too. Is it? Jeez. Nope, just one. Nope, just the one. But, but still pretty But includes like uh, uh, reflex sights, night vision scopes, bayonet, bayonets on them, Barrels. suppressors. I mean, there's Barrels just... magazines. You can, you, can, you can customize your equipment going even more detail. <laughs> you know what? That's something that's not in 5e's like weapons. Nope. I bet I can make something for that. Like enhancements to your like sword and... and, and, and... Anyway, I'm getting off. <laughs> I'm going to put a reflex scope on my bow. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the... There's a picture going around of a giant flute with a scope on it when the bard means business. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh shit uh it gives details on attacking with or without you know manipulators and stuff like that and all the details if you know something breaks or doesn't work and how it impacts your ability to play several pages on it um you have to reference it when you're looking at something on one of the lists ammo boxes artillery missiles demolishers yep you know what a charge is you know what a chassis resistance does, what experimental means. This is a cool one. So it says, you know, hard points with this rule are dangerous, sporadic, and often unstable. It gives you a chart of shit that happens when you use it. One through four, you roll a D8. One through four, nothing. You are lucky. You are lucky this time. Nothing bad happens. And then eight is bang. Something explodes. Your atom takes uh, force damage and immediately re-roll, ignoring a result in eight. So not only did you fuck up once, you're going to get 
the other negative effects. And some special rules even include, like, uh, cooldowns after you fire some weapons. Oh, 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 the beanbag toaster. The beanbag toaster is an experimental hard, mo- uh, hard point of gnomish design accidentally created after trying to develop a more efficient toaster delivery system. <laughs> oh my god, that's fucking hilarious. Um... <laughs> Um, worked a little bit too well. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever you use or activate a, a, a module with like, there's a, a feature called faulty. You have to roll on this this table, and once again, you can have misfires, jams, and all that sort of stuff, um, which is pretty pretty cool. And you know, I mean, there's just so much here for the different types of equipment. You really get a huge amount of content for your for your um, money. Uh, it goes into details on what Titan shields are and what different bonuses you get for them. As if that wasn't enough. In Chapter 6, they give you a character option for every single class. Archetypes! Now, we're not. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there's one that really stood out that I thought was unique. And they each tie into the Atoms in some way, shape, <laughs> or form. It's a bard with a loop where he's all, like, dressed in metal and he's got skull pulled in down. It looks like he's rocking out. Talons of Metal. Oh, here it is. So, for example, the rogue archetype is called Hijacker. And as a hijacker, you excel at commandeering other people's atoms. I mean, (laughs) you can take over their shit with ease. You get this this third-level feature called Hijack. um, And as part of a long rest, you gain the ability to create a special device called a hijacking cell. And the hijacking cell has an appearance similar to, like, a high-tech or steampunk or magical microchip that basically you attach to this thing. um, And when you hit a creature or construct uh, with a weapon attack... And you trigger your sneak attack, instead of doing the additional damage, you can choose to hijack the target by attaching the uh, the hijacking tool. Um, and you can create and store a number of these equal to your intelligence modifier. And basically, uh, it has a whole a whole chart here of controlling the hijack target and all this shit that you can do. <laughs> like, it's it's hilarious. And, and each one of the classes comes with something unique like this that really makes them fit into the world with the atoms. And I think that's amazing. Like how Circle of Steel for Druid gives you a robot companion. Does it really? Yes. <laughs> Man, that's what the Druid's been missing for a while. Right? <laughs> and all we got is a Beastmaster. <laughs> the Sorcerer Steelborn. That sounds pretty dope. Your innate magic comes from the fra magical power of an arcane construct. Um, to be able to access such magical auto- uh, automation power at will is a very rare gift. Many with this ability can often trace their lineage back to a particular ancestor who became infused with construct magic after crossing paths with one of the mysterious inevitables. I don't know what that is, but it sounds fucking dope. <laughs> but anyway, so you get you get 12 of these. And they also give you, like, uh, mech-related feats and spells, too. Now, the price of this book is only nine ninety five. Imagine, like, can you guys believe how much content you're getting for that price? And this document all together is 116 pages PDF. Yeah, we're we're at page 56. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna skip over the class features. So yeah. Um, but as mentioned before, they do include a prestige class for an atom pilot. So which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's like a crap ton of stuff in the DM section. Yeah, including well, NPCs, quests, yeah. additional equipment. Yeah, what kind of monsters do these things go against? Depends on the chassis and the build and the weapons. But I imagine potentially eventually dragons. I mean, shoot, even in the NPC section, there are essentially, they cover autonomous atoms that you create by summoning spirits to basically inhabit and pilot them. 
<laughs> so after chapter six, the character options, you have chapter seven, the Dungeon Master's Toolbox. This includes, you know, NPC pilots, uh, bounties, hunts, magical items, scaling atoms, and, and hacking variant rules, um, and even gives uh, uh, instruction on balancing atom encounters. Uh, for DMs that aren't used to, I mean, who would be used to this, right? Um, so it gives you kind of guidance on how to balance encounters around these these new uh, these new creations that you have in your game. Chapter eight goes on to talk about spellcasting and automation magic, which is a new class of magic. I'm gonna actually yeah, there right. is quite a few decent spells like, uh, and a lot of them actually spins on spells that already exist. They just yeah, like uh, make it like a uh, steam or cyberpunk in some way, mm-hmm. like a uh, resurrection spell, for example, where Actually, it's close to reincarnate, where you somebody dies, you can revive them, but they come back as a warforged. Oh, that is dope as hell. Actually, one of the more uh, higher uh, rank spells, I forget which one it is, I think it's like level 8, level 9, where you essentially have a warforged chest, you ready to go, where if you die, your soul moves into it. That's so cool. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I'm dead. But I on you, I come back as a robot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. Um... Brandon, what do you think about that sort of thing? The special spells and the mechanical flavor? I mean, how are you feeling about this right now, going through this? All I think about was Armored Core. You do? <laughs> and how much fun we had when it was out. <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to stress that, as we have said before in previous podcasts, obviously this is just a, cu- a, a custom set of rules that you can use, and you don't have to use everything in here. In fact, I don't think they intend for you to use everything in here because they're meant for a different style settings. Right. So it gives, like, the rules for the DMs or the players. And I think this is a great base to start off with, and I think you don't have to use all the rules. Right. Even if it's just for simplicity's sake, because I could see, like, for example, say, like, uh, okay, you have a magical item, which is sort of armor, but you have some bonus enhancements to it. Right. <laughs> if you wanted to simplify it. Yeah. Yeah, I but agree. This, Gives you a good baseline to, to go off of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I saw it would be great. Hmm. Uh, it goes off what Ian said, where if your character dies and your soul goes into the uh, uh, the atom, atom that you had, and now you control it, just go idly sit in your bandit's camp and just sit there and wait until they stumble upon you. Like, hey, guys, I found an atom. Wait for one to jump in, lock the cockpit, go jump in water. <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't, you don't go to the atom, you become a warforged. Oh, you become a warforged. Oh, that's way less cool. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that'll do it for our our main topic, the Grease Monkeys Handbook, a guide to building and piloting mechanized constructs in the world's greatest role-playing game. Val and Mogman, you guys did phenomenal work on this, and as soon as there is a physical copy of it, I will pick it up. I'm loving it, and I think that I would love to do an actual play <laughs> of course would. based around this. <laughs> I would. Maybe we could record it and, and share it. I'm going to call my Adam Gypsy Danger. Ugh. Never mind. You're not invited. <laughs> did you just besmirch Pacific Rim? I did. It was it was fun for what it was, but it was not good. <laughs> I loved the first one, but the second one was just okay. And to be mm. fair, the first one actually has a lot of depth to it if you pay attention. The problem is most people didn't pay attention. <laughs> it's hard. All right, so that'll do it. I just want to say, this is the movie my five-year-old self always wanted. Yeah. And I watched it as an adult. Uh, that's how I felt about Battleship. Like, I didn't what? plan it. Yeah, I, I was like, I, w- I want to see aliens and shit blowing up, and I got it. Um, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it for our main topic. Please check this out. There's a link in our show notes, or you can just go to DMs Guild and uh, search it. Um, there'll also be a link on our website when it releases. 
check this bad boy out. This is worth every single penny five times over again. It really is an amazing product. Definitely check it out. That being said, before we move on to our final segment, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of our sponsor. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Compliments of Lawsmith. Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Brandon, who's our winner? Yeah, who? Our winner for uh, our Lorsmith Prize is Sodar360. Congratulations, Sodar360. If you enjoy the adventure, please leave Lorsmith a review. Check it out, check it out. And now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. <laughs> um, yes, lots of good stuff for you to bring with you and hopefully inspire you. If you haven't already, we've released our Unearthed Tips and Tricks book, which is a compilation of uh, the first 25 episodes um, in a book. You can uh, head on over to our webpage and click the UTT book there or um, type in Unearthed Tips and Tricks in your Google and it's the first thing that pops up. So Yeah, I mean, it, why, why go through the first 25 episodes and continuously clicking through our episode try to find well, it and, you can just buy it and, and it's, it's right not there. Ju- it's not just that um <laughs> they're reworded in such a way that they are slightly different than our discussions um because i had a writer i gave the writer a little bit of freedom so that's even um, better freedom! Yeah, definitely uh you can help support our show by picking that bad boy up brandon what is our first on our tips and trick today it is the character concept which is the warforged pilot it is a pc race warforged but it's a small mech suit for a crippled halfling on the inside <laughs> I can clearly tell you haven't read this yet because the, the no. reaction is genuine. <laughs> the halfling spent his life as a soldier, but was critically wounded, forcing him to leave his service to the crown or whatever military mercenary group you want. After a monster attack on his village and the sorrow of the losses uh, that were incurred because he was unable to battle was too much for him to take. So instead of killing himself, he set out to <laughs> oh, find... No. Oh, that's so bad! <laughs> uh, he set out to find an artificer to make him some sort of device that would allow him to fight, even though he was a cripple. It started as simple prosthetics and bits and pieces of exoskeleton. As time went on, uh, the artificer was able to build a complete exoskeleton battle armor for the cripple. Allowing him to engage in combat and never be a victim again. So I know, I feel like we've talked about this before, but I could not find any evidence that it was actually a character concept. I think there's quite a few things to leave on the cutting room floor, too. I agree. Um, what do you guys think about this? Fun idea. Actually, I think the closest we've seen was when, uh, during our, uh, Christmas. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Santa mech that's piloted by a yep. gnome. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if I ever released that to anybody. I think that was just for us. Um, yeah. Um, so all this really is is your character <laughs> your is your move creep. Your character is picking the Warforged uh, race. 
Though it isn't worth noting that one of the features, I think, is they don't need to eat or anything. Um, yeah. So work with your DM to make sure that doesn't get in the way of your cripple. Maybe he's got like a face mask or something in there, but I, just feeds himself. <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning. Protein bars. I've only watched the first Robocat movie. He does not arrest a single guy in that one. Yeah, he's more like a robo-bouncer, isn't he? He just beats people <laughs> up. A robo-bouncer. I mean, the closest he comes to is he beats up a guy in, in the liquor store that's trying to rob the place. <laughs> or he shoots that one guy in the dick. <laughs> what does that say? Uh, she says it kind of reminds me that no, Savert. I know that, but no, the audience, the audience doesn't. doesn't. I keep forgetting, yeah. Uh, Savert says that it kind of reminds her of the uh, Mechanicus from 40K. You know? <laughs> Only less creepy. <laughs> it is worth noting that as uh, somebody who is a, a hardcore nerd, I haven't done much 40K stuff, but I did get a few 40K vibes from some of the entries, especially in the spell section. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely a few NASA Transformers as well. Right, right. Yes, uh, very cool. I like this concept um, because it gives a legitimate reason to play a Warforged mm, game. <laughs> and I think that it creates a unique flavor. And it really fit the theme of the Grease Monkey book, um, so I thought it would go great in this episode. I would love to play something like this, because it definitely adds a uniqueness that you probably won't see in any other character. So, uh, and, and as a DM, this does, you don't have to make this available to the players if you want. This could just be like an NPC that they run into, you know? Alright, that'll do it for our character concept, the Warforged Pilot. The Iron Elephant. And the origin is the Iron Gollum. Basically, you remove its sword and poison breath feature, and its new ability is innate spellcasting. The Iron Elephant's innate spellcasting ability is charisma, and has a plus 7 to hit with spell attacks, and it can innately use the following spells, requiring no material components, including fireball. I'm totally picturing a uh, flamethrower tank (laughs) in the description. Yeah. Yeah. That's literally what it is. Yep. And the initial change you make is you make its charisma 16. Right. First of all, you're basically... Giving this, this, you have to do a lot of reflavoring, right? We call it the Iron Elephant. It's basically either a quadruped or a treaded construct that shoots fireball out its trunk, right? Yep. And it's spewing, you know, this, this fireball at will. Now, you could, some people would say, fireball at will, that's too strong. If you consider this is a CR-16 monster using a third level spell at will, it's not really that powerful, Compared to doing its uh, its normal attacks, um, I think it gets multi attack for like three d ten or some shit like that plus seven. So it puts it in about the same ballpark, just casting it as a third level spell repeatedly. Um, but I wanted something that really fit kind of the theme of this. Basically, it's a tank, but they call it an iron elephant. Why do they call it an iron elephant? Because it looks like one. It looks like yeah. It's got a big giant barrel right on the front, right? Big trunk. And uh, giving it the fireball <laughs> spell really made it fit the the explosion theme um what do you guys think about this dude i think adventurers fighting against an oh shit tank would be something to see <laughs> yeah i would agree i think it's fun i think it fits once again fits the the adam and grease monkey theme um this is a higher rating than i normally do i don't usually bother doing high level monsters for one reason very few people fight high-level monsters, and if you do, why would you bother changing one when you've got a bunch of choices in the book? Because right? few p- games make it that far. Right, right. <laughs> um, it's a very simple variation, but I think it lends itself to uh, a nice little change, and it makes this otherwise spellless creature have some sort of surprise. <laughs> 
Um, that'll do it for our monster variant, the Iron Elephant. Our encounter of the podcast is called the Iron Elephant. So what a shocker! <laughs> I actually have run this. So I ran an adventure where I decided I wanted to base it off of um, shit. What is the anime with the world, the the little portal that goes between Japan and Gate? Gate, yeah. I was watching Gate, and I... Good series. Yeah, it is. And in the Gate anime, a portal opens up in the middle of Japan, and these fantasy creatures and, and you know, people come through and start attacking the civilians. The military goes through uh, with their tanks and shit and just starts mowing down these knights <laughs> with their swords and shields, with machine guns and, you know, and tanks and all these things. Um, and it occurred to me that that would make for an, a surprisingly interesting encounter because yeah. the players wouldn't know what it is. So if I was in a world where I didn't understand what this, how would I describe it? Well, it, a tank looks like an elephant. It's got the long, long snout. It's very massive in size. So in this adventure, your, your, your players run into this, whether it's a construct that's been left behind from some forgotten past, um, or it's something that comes through a gate and they're like, shit, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> they, 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 maybe they approach this town and the, there's these stories of some sort of rampaging, fire-breathing elephant um, running around, you know, the stories say that just rams and tramples, you know, uh, any creature or structures in its way, leaving only tracks and burnt debris in its wake. Um, if you just tell your players that, they're not going to really know what the hell is going on, right? <laughs> I still think it's hilarious to like, oh crap, it's a dragon! Eh, we get rocket launchers. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts. Um, but anyways, uh, so in this scenario, you leave it kind of mysterious at first, right? As you're introducing it, and then when you plunk, whatever you do, you do not call it a tank, right? You do everything to describe all the results of this thing. Like when somebody hits it, it resounds like uh, with a loud ting, as if you're hitting off plate armor or something like that, you know? You gotta keep it vague, you gotta keep it unique and, and leave it to the point where it slowly dawns on your players and they go, are we fighting a fucking tank? And I'm like, yes. And it is the most glorious experience to have that when it just finally dawns on the players of what they're fighting this whole time. So I think it's a lot of fun. I think you can make it something that just go a construct that goes haywire and just start steamrolling shit. Or maybe you do have the, a planar gate opens and it comes from another world, you know? Um, in either case, uh, what are your guys' overall thoughts of this sort of encounter? As How would you like it as a player? I think it would be kind of fun to encounter like a modern or future tech, but in the fantasy setting, and you don't know what it freaking is. <laughs> right. And it's something you can introduce, like, maybe it's a once event that happens, and then maybe over time it happens more frequently, right? What do you think, Brandon? I think it'd be terrifying. I, I could see a good hook for it, too. It's, uh, it's just a, This rift opens, and there's a massive explosion in a town nearby, and you have... This this uh, tank team, the team within the tank, are being attacked by the villagers, militia, and the villagers because they think they're under attack by this dragon thing, and they're defending themselves. And now you got these villagers that come up, and they don't know what it is, and they're just like, "Hell, hey, it's a thing. Let's go investigate it." And instead of it being peaceful, the tank attacks them, assuming that they're going to get attacked, and so now they got this big old thing going on. I'm instantly reminded of Avatar, when they're all shooting bows and arrows at those flying ships, and they're just, like, <laughs> bouncing off of it, you know? Like, I mean, as a player, that would be terrifying. So, uh, that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast, The Iron Elephant. Brandon, would you like to tell us about our magic item today? The magic item for this week is called The Nipping Purse. It comes from the Grease Monkey's Handbook. 
and it is a wondrous item and is uncommon. This magical coin purse is awarded. Er, damn it! This magical coin purse is warded against thievery. If a creature other than the wearer attempts to take an item out of this coin purse, they must succeed on a DC 16 sleight of hand check. Yes. Or take 1d6 piercing damage as sharp teeth from inside the bag nip at their fingers, and the creature's attempted theft fails. And I did want to point out, too, that there is a lot of items in this book. Yeah, there's a lot of magic items. Like, damn. Um, this was one that really jumped out at me, because th- thieving, I think, is something that doesn't happen enough to the players, but if you gave them... <laughs> it's like you made a deal with a freaking uh, uh, mimic. Said here, if you keep all my belongings in your mouth, I'll make sure you have food every night. <laughs> Just make sure no one grabs them. <laughs> Here's a rat. Yeah, I really, I really like this because it's a very subtle thing that um, you could use as a DM to. Oh, they got this. It's a magic item that it isn't going to change anything if they get it, but it becomes a hook for you to utilize to introduce them to um, more of the underground or something like that. I can see like uh, uh, a character who is a rogue or something along the lines or a criminal background having uh, giving them something like this just so they can protect themselves when they're meeting with the 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 sketchy shady guy to give them information or they're going through the slums and and something like that and having this a tool to kind of defend them what do you what do you think about this this is pretty dope i think it's a nifty item yeah (laughs) it's a pretty simple one not a whole lot to say about it um it's very cool though very subtle uh that is our magic item of the podcast the nipping purse our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is me? Loot Crates. <laughs> really? You can't a, drop Loot Crates into D&D. In a world <laughs> oh my full, god. In a world full of magical items and artifacts that there's a lot of people out there that just can't identify exactly what they are, it's likely that some merchants would have a hand in dealings with odd and mysterious items regularly. Um, the wealth of characters in 5th in, in edition specifically is something that can sometimes get kind of out of hand and them not have really any... Um, anything to do with it, right? Like, I got all this money, and I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with it. Well, TNB <laughs> came up with a solution to this problem. He, uh, he created a traveling merchant who only sells one thing, special loot crates. The problem is... The items that they came that they contain are unknown to the players. This kind of reminds me of like Storage Wars, right? Yeah. Where like you're bidding on this item, but you don't really know what you're gonna get, you know? Um, Storage Wars. And so for a solid 500 gold each, he creates four crates and attempts to sell them to the heroes at a blind purchase. And he lets you know, you know, um, sometimes you can find, you know, mystical artifacts and sometimes it's a rusted kitchen knife, you know. You never really know, but I try to include, you know, nice items in it. What's really cool about this is um, Tim the DM actually created little envelopes that he put out on the table for the players and let them pick them, right? <laughs> um, to me, this is hilarious because it really is an, an extra incentive. If I just sat for... A little tiny envelopes in front of you guys. Would you not be more tempted to want to buy the the miscellaneous boxes that might have something in them? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's really cool is you go on to the 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 NPC can go on to explain that they could contain you know mundane items, uh, something maybe like a potion of healing, or if they're really lucky, very ra- rare magical items. This is really cool because it's a great way to drive your players to spend the gold as well as. Um, have a chance to introduce random uh, 
rare items, even stuff that might even be on their wish list, right? Mm -hmm. Something that you can't find an easy way to fit into the story that they might be able to get. Um, and you've got all the tables and the DMG and stuff to kind of help roll with that. But I, th I would like do like a percentage die, right? Like one through 85 is like mundane items, right? And then 85 through 95 is like, you know, um, potion or a various level of a potion or, or something like that. And then you have the, um, the last 5% is like a magical item of sorts, you know, maybe 4% is a rare one and a legendary is 1%, you know, that really would be that loot crate, uh, Loot crate feeling, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about this? <laughs> well, my my first thought was, well, I didn't read ahead, so I saw loot crates. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? As in, like, the DM makes a little, 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 uh, one of those twister spinners, right? And it's got <laughs> uncommon, common, and rare, mythic rare, all that stuff. And, like, there's a very, very, very thin line that says, oh, this is, like, the rarest item you can get. And it's like, if you pay me three ninety nine right now, I'll let you spin this shit. <laughs> Like the little spinners. Like a real life <laughs> like a roulette. roulette. <laughs> oh my god. That would be hilarious. No, I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> uh, Severin says you end up with lots of cool junk. <laughs> Get, uh, DMs, don't do not do that. Follow the player tip. Don't do that. <laughs> don't be a dick. And the uh, salesman's name is uh, Eric Algiers. Think about that for a second. EA. EA Sports! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that's genius! Oh my god! You could just call me EA for short. <laughs> EA Crates. EA Crates. Oh god. It's oh. EA Sports. It's in the DLC. <laughs> Oh my god, dude, yeah. that's hilarious. Holy shit. That's genius. Did you see that meme for like uh, games in the 90s and modern ga games? <laughs> it means like, games in the ni 90s, the game. Shows like a, a huge freaking burger. The expansion pack, fries. Another expansion pack, <laughs> a drink. Modern games. The game, a bun. <laughs> DLC, 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 DLC for all the various toppings in the meat. <laughs> that's funny. Thanks. Inaccurate. Thanks, Tam. I'm going to remember this for a long time. Uh... uh... <laughs> Our player tip of the podcast is Don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. And today you can avoid dick to by handling aggressive negotiations. Now, let's face it, there's always that one player that wants to engage in combat when everybody's trying to talk. But once initiative is rolled, there is an opportunity to stop them, be it hit the idiot with a sleep spell, paralyze them, so on and so forth. Yeah. And this prevents that one idiot in the group from ruining negotiations. Yep. Um, so this actually happened to me yesterday. <laughs> I know what happened. I mentioned earlier in the, the in the realm that I ran a D&D adventure. Oh, yeah. One of the players, one of my patrons is very new. It's like his third game, right? And at the end of this adventure, they're trying to get access to this, this special fruit to to rescue this, this halfling, young halfling girl who's dying of ling rot, right? And the only cure is a special fruit. Um, and they're trying to negotiate, and it's going well. And the Blood Hunter, Stephen, oh. I know you're listening because I know you listen to every episode as it airs, decides, oh, this guy's got to die. He's bad. Um, and he, he was kind of, you know, he's scratching his neck. He's kind of got a tick going. He's pretty he's pretty messed up. But he decides to to charge in. Here, I go killing again. <laughs> I'm not the DM that's going to say, no, you can't do that. I did remind him that your your negotiations are going good. He's like, I don't care. He transforms into his wolf because he's running the the Matt Mercer's uh, Order of the Lycan Bloodhunter, um, and he attacks. So I roll initiative, and the players handle this perfectly. I have seen too many times where the, all the players just say "fuck it" and attack. Yeah, the people who won the initiative first, the very first person, which I think was John, pulled out a net and threw the net at him. 
He <laughs> caught him in a net. So now he's entangled. Then Hans, I think it was Troy, runs up and, and tries to grapple him. Right? And, and, and hold him from getting any farther. And that was their solution to a player who was trying to end their negotiations. We're sorry. This guy's um, phrase is, a kill a day keeps the blood bust away. Yes. <laughs> and what made it interesting is, because technically what happened, you can consider PvP, can't you? Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And, and one of the players actually had a little bit of concern about that. You can tell he was re- pretty reserved on the whole PvP thing. But sometimes um, it's not warranted. Right, but PvP doesn't have to mean I cut your fucking head off. Um, it could just mean that you pin and knock somebody to the ground and put some manacles on them or something. There are ways sleep to, dark. yeah, or sleep dark. There are ways to deal with play- players like that. So when you are in a situation where attacking is clearly not the best option, you as the players can either just give up and attack anyway, because somebody else did, or you can try to handle the person without trying just to attacking them, right? There are ways to incapacitate players without dealing with the aggressive, you know, cutting their head off or anything like that. And I think my players last night did a really good job on that. And once again, Steven... Banish. Banish. <laughs> oh, dude, banishing him to another dimension would have been glorious. And then they just, like, finish their conversation. He comes back and there's nobody in the room. <laughs> but anyways, um, while I have nothing against uh, what Steven did, that clearly was something that went against what the party wanted, right? And I think my the players, they, they handled it very, very well. So... The point is, is that there are ways to handle situations in a PvP fashion that don't really, um, that aren't so aggressive that they cause additional problems among the, the players, right? Right. And I feel like that's something that could easily happen to a barbarian or the the zealot paladin, right? That just like, he's gonna fucking die! You know? <laughs> so, yeah. um... I cast a mission door. Where'd he go? Give him a second. Ah! Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, that's funny. Um, so yeah, so consider the different alternatives you have besides just attacking your your allies when you don't need to. Uh, that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by handling aggressive negotiations well. That'll do it for our show today. Uh, before we close out, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. A small village, empty of villages except for one boy, found sitting and weeping next to a jester's pageant wagon. The boy explains that the villagers, including his family, followed a jester into the wagon and never came out. What madness could the adventurers face? Can they save the villagers? Or will they go mad trying? Can you survive the madhouse of Tasha's kiss? Who's our winner today? Our winner today for Jeff Stevens is Dual. Congratulations, <laughs> Dual. Um, if you enjoy the adventure, please let Jeff Stevens know. Leave him a review uh, and let him know what you liked about the product. Uh, once again, if you like any of Jeff Stevens' products, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com. There's a click on our sponsors and click on his name and go check out all of his other fat loots. He's got lots of good stuff. Um, well, that'll do it for our show today. Please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from you, our heroes, 
author Jeff Stevens, will be joining us to talk Villains in Lairs, a collection of fully fleshed out villainous NPCs with backstories, motives, and bitchin' ass layers. (laughs) <laughs> crib D D edition <laughs> would you like something to drink is that a skull yep <laughs> <laughs> see you later tonight uh i'm really excited for this this is one of the top selling products right now on uh Neum's guild uh he it's been on like the auto pop-up thing for like a month now so if you have any feedback unearth tips and tricks or topics you'd like us to discuss please send them to us you can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com or find us on twitter and facebook at crit academy uh, we hope you've enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others uh, find the show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or your platform of choice. Or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. Uh, as of this episode release, um, if you leave a review on iTunes, at the end of March, we are going to pull a name from one of the reviews and give away a free copy to a lucky winner of our Honor Tips and Tricks book. So definitely head on over and leave us a review. Make sure to give us a like and a share on our social media as well. And also, you can support our show for as little as, as a buck a month by going to Patreon. And there's various tiers to get more stuff. Or you can uh, check out Brandon's art. He takes commissions. There is a link Shit. in our Facebook page to get all the, the prices and some samples of his work. Make sure you subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so we can help you on your future adventures as well as uh, be entered to win cool prizes each and every week. Um, you'll also find links to our awesome fellowship members. If you have not checked it out, we've got several uh, awesome content creators on there. Oricon's Lair, uh, Brute Force and Ignorance, the actual play podcast, D&D Character Lab, Gabe and uh, Jeff over at Inner Party Conflict. I mean, there's just a plethora of, of beautiful uh, content there. Definitely check it out. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Brandon. I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes.